Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. New World colonial financing came from a wide range of sources, including English women. Historian Misha Ewan recounts the fascinating early history of the Virginia Company and its initial investors. The Virginia Company is a joint stock company, and it's trying to garner interest in lots of different ways. They're trying to seek interest and investment and patronage. There are very proactive ways that people are involved. But I think understanding that participation in the colonial project to also include people who do it in maybe more fleeting or passive ways. But I also think about these fleeting examples of the women, for example, who provided lodging and food and washed the clothes of colonists in the weeks and days leading up to their departures and supplied foodstuffs for the ships. And I think through that lens, we get a sense this requires the buy-in and the support of a much broader public. It's a relatively small group of women who are named as shareholders. So in 1609, there are a couple of women who invest who are both from merchant backgrounds. One of those women we know quite a lot about. She was a woman called Catherine Huberblock, who was from a Dutch merchant family. She's widowed twice over and she becomes very rich and she has a background as an independent merchant. It's women like that that the company can appeal to because they have money to spare. They are interested in these new innovative schemes that might mean an influx of new goods into the marketplace. Towards the end, when I was completing this book, I made a visit to a local church in London where there's a memorial to Catherine Heberbock, who was the woman who invested in the company in 1609. And her memorial survives, which is quite remarkable, which have survived hundreds of years. And I was really interested in her as a woman and someone who was innovative and someone who was clearly independent. But I thought, you know, there's a colonial legacy entangled with this woman and her history and this memorial as well. But for women like that, as well as some of the noble women who invest a bit later, and some of these noble women do already have connections to the company. But what I found, which was really interesting, was that a lot of these women were related to each other as well. I think one of the things that was a motivation or an influence, if you like, was that people are doing this because other members of their family are doing it and their friends are doing it. And they're kind of deciding that it is a shared endeavor that they should all be investing in. And I think for these women, of course, there is a hope or an expectation that they will see some kind of financial benefit from this. But it's something that also allows them to establish themselves as more respectable members of their community. And this is not something that's entirely new. Women in this period do lend money and they do invest as a way to become these more influential economic actors in their communities. And I think that they're using the Virginia Company in a similar sort of way. They're making their mark in this realm that from the outside does seem to be typically very macho and male and militaristic. But these women can do something different. They can lend it civility and respectability that I think men at court cannot achieve. And they can leverage influence in other ways as well through their own family networks. And I think one thing that was interesting for me looking at the records is that it's clear that women are often the key to men's investment. Women's marriage portions are sometimes being used by their husbands to invest in colonial ventures. And this is not unique to Virginia, you know, it happens later in places like Barbados as well. 
But upon marriage, some men suddenly come into this small fortune and they're using women's capital in this way. And equally, when husbands, fathers, brothers, sons die, they are deciding to leave their shares in their companies to their female relatives because clearly they see it as something that might offer them some financial security if it does end up being extremely successful. I imagine that women's motivations in many ways were similar to men's. I'm not sure how much they differed. Another woman that I have studied, a woman named Rebecca Romney, was a very influential woman in the London Protestant community. And she decides to lend the company money at precisely the same moment that the company is in conversation with the separatists in Leiden about providing safe harbour for them in the colony. And for me, that was just really intriguing to think that perhaps she was lending money to the company at this time because there was hardship and actually they used that money to further fortify Jamestown. But I did wonder, was she motivated to do it at that particular moment and kind of give them their help because of what she knew it was doing politically to help these Protestant separatists? So often we're kind of reading between the lines a little bit with these sources because what we know about these women is often fairly scant. But there are scraps like that of evidence in the Virginia Company's archive that I think are potentially quite revealing about what it was that garnered their interest. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. One of the things that I really wanted to do is take this beyond just the traditional list of shareholders, which is often what people are focused on, but instead look at the women who lent the company money or provided charitable donations, because that is still an investment of a kind. And I think it's important and it's certainly important to the company at points in time when it needs all the help that it can get. And women, sometimes the people who are stepping in and willing to provide that financial assistance. If you look at the cold figures, you cannot overstate women's involvement compared to the numbers of men that invested. There are only 12 women who are named as shareholders. While there are greater numbers of women who, like I said, donate money or lend it money or inherit shares and in that way become shareholders, it's still a minority. But I think what's interesting about looking at women is that it can allow us to understand new things about the company and new things about the role of women in colonial projects more generally in this period that, you know, we haven't maybe appreciated or understood before. The example of a woman like Cecily West, who was married to Thomas West, Lord Delaware, the fact that she later petitions Charles I and says, I need help, I need a pension because I gave all my money to my husband and he invested it in Virginia. It just makes me think there could be more examples like that and we might never know about them because the records just may have not survived. 
but I think it is worth uncovering some of these stories. Like you say, to show that this project was being influenced by women and it was being influenced by gendered ideas, not just in terms of we need to send more women to the colony and women will be crucial to the colony because they will raise our children and teach them to speak English and keep our English customs going, but also that they see women as important as potential investors. There was one funny example I came across when I was doing research, actually in the New York Public Library, they have some archives there relating to Virginia investors. And in the 1630s, there's a colonist who is trying to get his plantation off the ground again. And when he's trying to persuade some of his male friends to invest, he says, you know, I already have certain gentlewomen who have invested, but they would like their names to stay secret. And I always thought that was quite funny because it may well be that he had found these gentlewomen who wanted to invest and didn't want to be credited. But I wondered, did he think that that would be more persuasive for these men if they think that gentlewomen have invested? Because there's a certain credibility there, perhaps. I'm sure other people will come along and hopefully they might have other ideas. But I think it's something that we need to do more research into and perhaps in other colonial spheres as well. So the past few years, I've been researching the role of women in colonization in Barbados. And I think that was probably a natural progression for me in some ways. I just find the role of women in English colonization fascinating. And again, I'm interested in the role of women in colonization in Barbados itself, but also what women in England do to uphold colonization in Barbados, including plantation slavery, women as absentee slave owners. And I think this will be research that will help us to better understand the British involvement in colonization in this later period and how slavery develops and how that then develops in England as well. And looking at that through the lens of women and their participation and connections. Next time, we continue our expose on the colony of Jamestown. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. Thank you for the wonderful comments, messages, ratings, and reviews. All of them are regularly posted for your reading pleasure on patreon.com slash Did you know that word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast? It helps us expand our audience by getting us more notice and keeps us going and growing. So please, folks, spread the word to family and friends. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.